Welcome to the Sonoma Collective Podcast. We are a faith family practicing the way of Jesus together in beautiful Sonoma, California. If you'd like to learn more about Sonoma Collective, its ministries, or how you can support us financially, visit sonomacollective.com. Daniel 6, 1-10 says, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this, against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, had agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for thirty days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that, as a law of the Medes and Persians, It is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So today I'm going to show you and talk about the most important spiritual quality that has the greatest potential to impact not only this year, but your entire life. It's the key to unlocking growth in your ministry and your relationships, your finances, your physical health, uh, your financial potential. Is this something you guys want to hear about? I need a little more, uh, like, give me a little more. Okay, 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 yeah. Well, I'll tell you first of all what it's not. It is not your appearance. It is not your background. It is not your education. Uh, It is your consistency. It's your consistency that has the greatest potential to unlock these things. Now, some of you are saying, fantastic, great. I'm screwed. Because if I'm I'm anything, I am inconsistent, right? I'm not able to be consistent in some of these areas. Uh, Some of us struggle mightily in this. Uh, We inconsistently eat the things that we want to eat. We inconsistently spend money in the ways we want to spend money. Uh, We have trouble reading the Bible on a daily basis. Uh, We have trouble even getting to places on time consistently. Uh, And so if that's you, um, then you're not alone. Um, I also am inconsistent at times. Uh, One way uh, I'll share with you I've been inconsistent uh, is inconsistent in my daily time of prayer. Um, And I'm not just talking about like before I knew Jesus, because you're probably like, well, of course, yeah, obviously. But I'm talking about even uh, up until today, there's inconsistency there for me and something that I'm sure most of you would think, well, wait a minute, aren't you a pastor? Like, isn't that something you're supposed to do? Don't, don't you get paid to like pray every day? Um, and so, but yes, there are times and, and there's seasons in my life where I find it to be very consistent. Other seasons that I struggle to make that a, a consistent habit in my life. But uh, if you're like me, 
then again, I want to just encourage you uh, that we are not in bad company. Uh, Paul, who is an apostle, which just means sent out one, he's uh, probably one of the most prolific uh, church planters in the history of the Jesus movement. Uh, he planted churches all over the known world at the time. Um, he wrote about 25% of what we call the New Testament. Uh, many of his letters have become just the standard of what it means to practice Jesus and to be in community uh, with other Jesus followers. And even he, in a letter he wrote to a church in Rome at the time, he says this in Romans seven fifteen, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 18, he picks up and says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anybody relate to this, right? Like, I want to do the right thing, but man, it's hard sometimes that I just find myself doing the things I don't. So if you've ever tried having good intentions, but find yourself repeatedly failing, then good news. Today's message is for you. So we're going to talk about the power of uh, consistency. How can we be more consistent? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful this morning that we can come, we can open up your scriptures, and we can study it together. We can worship you freely without fear of persecution. Uh, we live in a place in the world where to celebrate and to follow you is not punishable against the law of the land or even by death, but we get to freely choose this. Um, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that uh, it's going to win us any popularity points in our community, but Lord, we're thankful for the gift to be able to follow you. And so Lord, would you guide us and lead us? We come today with open hearts and minds, and we ask that you would speak to us. Our desire is to leave here today different, changed, transformed in some way some form or fashion. So would you be gracious enough to do that in each one of us as individuals today? Uh, we give you our attention now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Uh, this is the final part of a series uh, called uh, Better Decisions, Better Life. We've been talking about the quality of our life is most directly impacted by the decisions or the quality of decisions that we make, right? Quality decisions leads to quality of life. The quality of those decisions matters and can drastically change uh, the way you're looking. And so kind of the big idea in this series is this concept of what it means to pre-decide, to decide before the moment, to decide before you find yourself faced with a difficult choice or a temptation or something that's going to radically transform not only your week, but perhaps your year, even your life, that uh, we, had, we came up with this sort of uh, formula, if you will, this sort of thinking model of that when faced with blank, right, whatever that situation might be, when faced with a financial decision, a decision at work, a decision in my parenting that I have pre-decided to do blank, meaning the, the action that you're going to take. So before you find yourself in that moment, you've already pre-decided based on your values, based on uh, the integrity of the person that you want to be, not just in the moment, but in your life, that you're gonna make a certain choice, right? So for example, if you find yourself on Amazon yet again, getting ready to hit that buy button and buying something on impulse that you're probably gonna regret later, you've pre-decided that you're gonna wait three days, as an example before you hit uh, send or hit buy before you make that purchase. Or perhaps you're sharing your password with someone else that you, they have to give it to you before you make that choice. You've pre-decided. And so we've been talking about that looks like last week, we talked about when faced with temptation, how do we overcome that? And we talked about redrawing the line or moving the line even further away from that temptation line to keep us from even getting close to making that choice so that we'll ultimately regret or have some, um, some remorse to. So today, uh, talking about consistency, we're going to pre-decide. We're going to pre-decide that not on our own, because as we've already admitted, we're woefully inconsistent at times, but with God's help, we're going to pre-decide to be consistent. 
that with God's help, we want to be consistent. So we're going to decide today that we're going to be consistent. Someone say, I am consistent. Some of you, I believe you. By the end, you're going to believe that a little more for yourself. Uh, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Right? If you look at successful people in this world, it's not like they have any great insight or special talents. There's certain, sometimes that's the case. But for most highly successful people in all different areas of life, they're the ones that are doing consistently what the rest of us only do on occasion. They're consistently showing up on time. They're getting up early. They're putting in the research. They're, they're doing the things you don't see behind the scenes. They're doing those things over and over and over again. And eventually they find themselves in a successful place. Whereas the rest of us, just occasionally we start doing those things that we think will get us where we want to go. And the, the reason that's true is because we are repeatedly what we do. What we often repeat is what we become. We're, we, we talk a lot about as, as, as humans, we're constantly being formed into a human. We're constantly becoming someone. And it's our habits, it's our daily activities that are ultimately leading us to become the type of person, whether that's intentional or if it's just haphazard. And so it's not what we do occasionally that makes the biggest difference. It's not those moments where we get like that great idea or breakthrough. It's like, aha moment, like, okay, just one time. It's No, it's what we do consistently that ultimately matters. And so today we're going to take a look in Scripture about why consistency matters, but probably more helpful and more to the point is how. How do we become more consistent. So uh, there's lots of uh, figures, lots of people within scripture that are consistent, but uh, no one perhaps more so than Jesus uh, would be this guy named Daniel. Uh, Daniel is one of the most consistent people we find in scripture. He's consistent relationally. He's consistent spiritually. He's consistent um, in his morality. Uh, he's a tremendous leader. He's a, he gets appointed in really high level positions. And so just a little bit of context. So uh, this is about 605 BC, so a long time ago. After 18 years, Babylon has captured and besieged and taken over Israel. They've captured Jerusalem, the capital city. And as part of this uh, occupation strategy, the Babylonian government has abducted and taken as prisoners of war from Jerusalem, thousands of miles all the way to Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. And they have taken the best and the brightest. They've taken the best and the brightest based on appearance and intellect. Uh, and they want to then assimilate these young men, these boys, or about uh, 12 of them at the time. And they want to indoctrinate them uh, into the ways of the Babylonian culture. So they're going to make them eat the food the Babylonians eat. They're going to make them wear the clothes the Babylonians eat. They're going to teach them all their strategies, all their theories, and their, uh, their, their wisdom. That Then they can use these boys from Israel and turn them into leaders within their own culture. So in terms of like an occupation strategy, it's pretty, pretty wise. It's a pretty good strategy. And so we see uh, Daniel and his friends, and they're talked about in this book that we have in our scriptures called Daniel. And uh, despite all that outside pressure, I mean, imagine yourself in that environment where you're taken to a foreign land, they speak a different language, they eat different foods, they talk about different gods and have all different ways of doing life. Imagine yourself in that scenario. Uh, and that, what would that be like for you? And despite all that pressure, we see Daniel and his friends, they stay faithful to God. They stay, they, they cling to their faith. They cling to who they know to be God of the universe. They cling to him a, a, like a lifeline amidst all this outside pressure. And despite all this pressure, we see them flourishing and thriving in this environment, this foreign land, this difficult situation they find themselves where no one seems to speak like they speak and has all sorts of different ideals. And yet these guys are being promoted. They're being put in the highest levels of authority and they're given all sorts of opportunities to lead uh, this place. 
And we see that God gives Daniel some additional things to help him along the way. He gives them some gifts and some talents. He gives them the ability to interpret dreams and interpret signs and wonders. And Daniel uses those to give God the credit and the glory. And because of that faithfulness, again, he gets promoted and elevated. And so he has about a 70-year career in, in high-level ministry and in government under three different kings. And we pick up this story on that final king that he's serving under. His name is Darius. And uh, we see here in verse 3 that Darius recognizes something significant about this Daniel. Right? He's, he's appointing these uh, government officials, three different presidents, and he says, I want Daniel to be one of those. In fact, I want him to be ahead of all of those. So he's like the top of those three, which is the top of the 120, and they're controlling all of Babylon. He says that, that Daniel distinguished himself above the other officials and leaders because he had an extraordinary spirit, and because of which the king planned to set him over the whole realm. So here he is in a foreign land, right? He's learned the culture, but he hasn't allowed that culture to change him and transform into somebody different. He's cling to who his God is. And as a result of that, God also shows favor on Daniel and puts him in the highest position. Now you can imagine this does not make the locals very happy, right? You've been in an environment like that, right? You've been in a work environment where someone comes in new and they haven't been doing the things you've been doing for all that time. And all of a sudden they get elevated, not just like equal to you, but even above you, Right? Has anybody ever been in an environment like that? It doesn't feel too good. It's not, not exactly uh, the best feeling I can imagine for the local Babylonians seeing that this foreign guy, Daniel, is now giving all this uh, privilege and all of this honor and recognition. So they do what a lot of people in this world do. They decide to completely undermine Daniel's credibility, right? They just completely go on this smear campaign and try and basically get him canceled. Right. So they're like digging up dirt on him. They're like talking to ex-girlfriends like, hey, what do you know about this guy? Right. They're looking at his old like social media posts, seeing if there's anything they can use to incriminate him. Right. They're just trying to completely default his character. In verse four, it says, though, the administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they kept but they could not find a charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence could be found. No charge or corruption because he was trustworthy. Nothing was found in him of corruption. Like they tried as hard as they could. There's, they couldn't find anything within him. One translation says he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So these officials are like, okay, we're not going to find anything based on his work life or his personal. Like there's, we're not going to find anything. So the only way we're going to be able to trap him or to get him uh, taken out of, of his position is we're going to have to go against his God. We're going to have to go against his faith, his spirituality. That's what we're going to attack. Verse 6 the men said, we'll never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Remember, Babylonians are worshiping all sorts of gods, right? There's not just one. It's, it's, there's, there's monotheism. There's all sorts of gods they're worshiping. So they're saying, look, he's got his God, whatever. We're just going to find something there against him that we can trap him. I wonder, can, can people say the same thing about you? Like there's nothing they can find in you based on how you do your work life and how you parent and how you handle your money and how you interact with your neighbors. Like the only thing they're going to be able to incriminate you against is based on your faith. This, this God that you so-called say that you worship. Like that's the only thing that they can hold against you. And so these, these officials, they go to, to, to King Darius. They say, okay, Darius, we got this great idea. You're like the best king ever, right? And Darius is like, well, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty good. He says, well, I tell you what, why don't you put a law into place? It's a really good idea. You'll love this, Darius. So you put a law into place that for the next 30 days, no one's allowed to worship anybody but you. No other gods. Like you, you are a god like here on earth. Like you're the king. You're awesome. We want everyone to worship you. And if anybody in the next 30 days worships any other god or anybody besides you, then we're just going to throw them in the lion's den. 
And Darius is like, that sounds pretty good. Like, I'm a pretty, yeah, I'm, I, I like myself a lot. So yeah, this sounds like a great idea. I'd love a little bit of worship uh, towards me for the next 30 days. That sounds like a great plan. So let's do it. And so then they, they, they bring out the, the edict, the, the, the law for him to sign. And there's a, a policy in, in Babylonian culture, the Medes and the Persians, that whenever a law was written into order and it was sealed by the, the, the signet, the king's ring with wax, that no one could uh, undo that law, not even the king himself. Like once it was put into place, like that's it. It's, it's like set in stone. No one's going to be able to change that. And so it's not a very good idea, by the way, because, you know, if, if you know yourself very well, you realize that you change your mind at times, right? And so to have this kind of law where nothing can be changed is probably not that wise. Of course, the king, he violates that, uh, that idea that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that never make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion, right? He's feeling really good about himself. He wants some praise. He's like, I'm going to make something permanent and then that no one can undo, not even myself, even if I change my mind. So they put this law into place as if anybody worships anybody besides King Darius next 30 days, they will be essentially given the death sentence. They're going to be thrown to the lions. They're going to be put in the lion's den. So what does Dan the man do here? What would you do, right? What if coming to church became illegal, punishable by jail time, right? What would happen? What would you do? If you pray that that's also a violation of the law, you'll be fined. If anyone catches you ever praying, how would you respond? That's essentially what Daniel finds himself in. And he's not like just an average person like most of us. Like he's a high-ranking official. He's like one of the top officials in town. And so what does Daniel do? Verse 10, when Daniel learned the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its, up, in its upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he, get da- he got down on his knees. In some translations it says, as usual, or was his custom, and he prayed. And he gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Daniel is consistent. He's not going to decide to pray now in the moment of testing when it's going to cost him something potentially, even his very life. He's going to do what he's been doing for years. He's been getting down on his knees three times a day and he's been praying to God. That was his custom. That was his habit. That was his consistency. And so there wasn't a decision. He'd already pre-decided that it doesn't matter what's going to happen outside. I'm going to pray three times to my God. And so when this law comes down that says, look, if you do this thing, you're going to get Throwing lines at he says, well, that, if that's what happens, that's what happens. But I've already decided that I'm going to be consistent, that I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray. So if you know the story, uh, you know, these officials, they, they, they go and they see Daniel praying publicly. He's got his window open. He's on the top of his flat roof of his house. And there's like a lattice window that he's open. So he's visible and they see him and they say, hey, King, remember that law you put into place? Well, you know, your, your, your boy Daniel, right? He, he unfortunately, he's been praying to a different God besides you. And of course, in that moment, Daniel realizes like, oh, I've been duped. Like these guys got me and he's really grieved. He's upset. He's trying to find a way all day long of a way he can get Daniel out of this death sentence. But eventually he realizes that there's no way out. And I love what he says uh, in verse 16. He says, look, um, all right, king gives the order. Go ahead and throw Daniel in the lion's den. But he says this to Daniel, the king does. He says, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. It's really interesting, that phrase. Again, even, even the king sees the consistency in Daniel. He doesn't say, may your God rescue you. He says, may your God, whom you continually serve. I see it, Daniel. I see you constantly serving God. I see that in you. And I'm, I'm hopeful that there's something here to this faith that you have in this God, that he'll somehow save you. And so he's, he's up all night. He fasts all night. He doesn't get his usual 
like things brought to him, the king, he's like, he's distraught. He can't even sleep all night. And as soon as the morning breaks, he like rushes, the king rushes to the lion's head and he cries out to Daniel, Daniel, are you in there? Like, please tell me that God saves you. And Daniel's just chilling with the lions. And he's like, may the king live forever. Like, I'm good. Hope you're doing all right, king. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done any harm. I've been innocent this whole time of whatever it is you've trumped up charges against me, uh, but I'm good. God took care of me, and so I hope you're doing all right this morning. Sorry you had a bad night's sleep, right? The consistency in Daniel. And what I love uh, that the, the king sees, again, what's going on here, and he responds, verse 23, he was overjoyed the king was, and he gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. Why was he unharmed? Because he trusted in his God. But here's the thing, friends. He didn't learn to trust God in the lion's den. He learned to trust God in his prayer closet. That's where the trust came from. It wasn't in the moment of testing that like all of a sudden this miraculous deliverance from God. Okay, now I'm going to trust you. No, no. He'd been trusting God three times a day, every day for years, getting down on his knees and praying to God in the foreign land with all the pressure around him, trying to just be faithful to God and not give in to temptation of all the things that he was had access to. He was a high-ranking official. He could just completely give in to debauchery and live the Babylonian way of life. He said, no, I want to be faithful to God. I'm going to do this for a long time. And he saw over all that time of getting on his knees and praying that he found that consistency and he found that ability to trust God. So when the moment of testing came, it was simply a matter of continuing to do what he'd always done. And because of that trust, it says that he was delivered from the lion's den. Most of us, we pray occasionally. Daniel prayed consistently. But it's not what we do occasionally that makes a difference. It's the consistent things we do. That's what's going to make the difference in our lives. So the big question, how? How do we do this? How do we grow in consistency? Just want to touch on three things in our time left. First thing is to start with the why. Start with the why. Second thing is plan to fail. And then finally, fall in love with the process. Fall in love with the process. First thing, start with the why. Why did Daniel pray consistently? He wasn't doing it to win any popularity points with his neighbors. Like that certainly was not the reason. He was not doing it for an outward show. It was coming from an inward place of desire, of devotion to God. He loved his God and wanted to spend time with God. And so that's the inner motivation. Uh, Most of us know by now that here we are on January 28th, that uh, if you had a New Year's resolution, you've probably already bailed on it. Like 80% of us, if we've made any of those things this year, like we've already given up on it and it's, it's, it's passed. And the reason is not because of a lack of devotion. It's because of a lack of desire. That's the problem. If you want to change, you've got to have a clear, compelling why behind the desire to change. Otherwise, you're, you're doomed to fail. Why, why do most New Year's resolutions fail? It's, uh, it's really simple. It's because people, if you really wanted to change your eating habits, you wouldn't wait till January 1st. Like if you really want to work on that relationship, you're not waiting for the calendar year to turn. That's just another day on the, on the calendar. Like you would have started much earlier. And I can prove this to you. Like if you go see your doctor in October and your doctor says, hey, I got some bad news. If you don't stop smoking or if you don't change what you're eating, you're going to be dead in the next few months. What you're probably not going to do is be like, oh, doc, thank you. Like I was really looking for what I was going to do for my New Year's resolution this year. And now I'm like three months ahead. This is October. I've already got it set. So when January 1st comes, I'll start doing that. No, you're not going to do that. Like you're going to the next day or that afternoon, you're going to be like, okay, what do I got to do? Like throw away my cigarettes, like get the patch, like call somebody for accountability, right? You're going to start doing something right now because you've got a compelling why. Like your very life is at stake. If you don't make a change, then you're not going to be around much longer. And that's the reason why most of these New Year's resolutions don't 
last is because there's not a compelling why. You're not going to wait uh, till someday on the calendar. So if you want to grow in consistency, you've got to have a clear, compelling why. You want to draw closer to God. You want to have a better marriage. Uh, you want to have financial stability or just get rid of a bad habit. Great. Those are all wonderful things. But why? Why do you want those things? Like, do you want to grow closer to God because you, you're saying, like, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, so I think that's just the thing I'm supposed to do? Like, I just don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so, like, people see that I'm actually doing the thing I say I'm going to do? Like, that's not a compelling why, right? Like, if you want to be closer to God, I mean, like, for example, for me, like, I, I don't want to look and act like the rest of the world. Like, I don't want to look like most people look on our evening news. Like, that's not how I want to live my life. I want to look different. Like, I want to, I want to offer the, those around me just a different and more compelling way to be human, like to live and to actually like be able to live out like Sermon on the Mount. Like, live that out, like to really love my neighbors and to be poor in spirit and to trust God and to turn the other cheek when someone slaps me. And if someone asks me for money, I'm generous to that. Like, I actually want to be that kind of person. Not like muster up the strength to like be that person, but just that's the natural response with, from within me to be that kind of person. Like that's why I want to be closer to God because I want to become like Jesus and do what he did when he was here. Like that's my reason of wanting to draw closer to God. You want to have a better marriage. Is that so your spouse will stop nagging you about that thing she's constantly or he's constantly asking you to do and you don't want to get around to doing? Right? I mean, I mean, okay, like, that's good, but that's probably not going to last. That, that desire is not going to stick with you when it gets tough. But, I mean, for me, I want to I be a man of integrity. I want to honor my vows. Like, I really meant those when I said them 10 years ago, and I want to continue to mean those for the rest of my life. I want to give a, a godly example to my kids of what a marriage can look like, of what it looks like to be a, a husband and a father. Like, I want to change the legacy within our family line. Like, there's a whole lot of divorce up until Carissa and I, and there's hopefully not going to be any more to come, but that starts with me having a compelling why of having a strong, biblical, and godly marriage. Like, you, you want to be financially stable. Awesome. Good goal, but why? Is it so you can, like, buy that thing you really wanted or, like, not you live paycheck to paycheck? I mean, that's good reasons, but a more compelling one would perhaps just to be free. Because the Bible equates that if you're not living away in your money and financial life according to what God wants you to do, that you are enslaved. That you're actually serving money as if it were a God in replacement of the real God. And so you're actually in slavery to that mindset. And until you trust God fully in that area, you won't be what the Bible says is free. Like I want to be generous like God has been generous to me. I want to be able to freely give the things I've been given. Or, you know, you want to stop a bad habit. You know, why? Is it because it's costing you a lot of money? I mean, that's good. You know, you should save some money, spend on some better things. Or, or is it because there's this like family pattern, right? Generational curse in your family. And you're like, I don't want that to continue. Like addiction or something like that. That I, I don't want to pass that on to my kids and see that go on. Like, I want to stop that right now within my line, with my legacy. That's a compelling why. That will carry you through because what's going to happen is inevitably some obstacle some resistance, some difficulty will get in your way. And if you don't have a clear and compelling why, chances are you will falter and fail. You won't be able to consistently go through. We're not talking about willpower, which is a limited resource. We're talking about why power. What's your why power? What's the why to get you through? Because when you have a why, you will find a way. Even when it gets difficult. Even when the odds are stacked against you. So I mentioned to you guys earlier, praying daily. Why? Why do I want to pray daily? Well, again, it's not because I want you guys to think like I'm somehow some better Christian or some better, you know, pastor. 
I, I want to pray daily because there's a devil, an, an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy for me and my family, and he doesn't take a day off. Like Bible equates our life of following Jesus is like we're in war. We're constantly in battle. And so I don't want to be lazy and allow the enemy to take ground in my family or my life. I, I want to be on the offensive and I want to go to battle daily for my wife and for my kids and for our ministry and for each other. Like everything matters, like prayer and marriage, all these things, ministry, kids. And so these are all areas that I want to spend time with God in his presence praying about, asking him to do something and to give me wisdom on how I can best navigate these areas of my life. I've got to have a clear why if I ever hope to have success in those areas. So define your why. When your values are clear, your decisions get a whole lot easier. So the first thing, if we want to be consistent, is start with the why. Second thing, and this is a little counterintuitive, is we're going to plan to fail. Um, it says that Daniel, in verse 10, chapter 6, prayed three times a day, just like he did before, as usual or as was his custom. I have a question. Do you think Daniel ever missed one of his three daily prayer times? Do you think there's ever a time like he did? Of course, like absolutely. Like don't over-spiritualize the guy. Like he's human just like you and me. Like there had to have been some scenarios where like King Darius like, hey, Daniel, like, you know, harvest season, I'm going to need to stay a little bit late because it's like count time. So we got to make sure everything gets counted. Like got to work a little bit late. So sorry, you're not going to make it home on time tonight. Or I don't know, maybe he's like caught in traffic, right? There's like a camel accident or something like on the way home. And he's like, how do I get home? You know, like, I don't know, work with me. I, was, I wasn't around that time. Or maybe he had like a big game, like a big gladiatorial event, right? And his friends ordered wings and he's like stayed up a little bit too late. So like in the morning, he's like, I can't get up this morning and do my daily prayer time. This is going to happen. Like this happened. I, I know that Daniel was not perfect in his three times a day all those years. So why are we so, so, so many of us inconsistent? It's because we have this mindset. That's just insidious. And it's this, it's that all or nothing mindset. Like I got to be a hundred percent or none at all. You know, if I fall short one time, like, oh, that's it. Like I'm a failure. Forget it. Like there's, it's not even worth even trying. You need to hear this. And I'm saying this to myself as much as anybody. Being consistent is not the same thing as being perfect. Being consistent is not the same thing as being perfect. Uh, when, whenever I am um, thinking about prayer, or like teaching people how to pray on a daily basis, there's a couple like guidelines, make it really uh, helpful. One is keep it short. Like if you're new to praying, keep it short. Like you don't have to have these really long winded prayers. Like just pray, keep it, keep it really short. Um, and then keep it simple, right? If you don't know what to say, like there's some really great examples in scripture, right? Even Jesus, when he was asked like, how should we pray? He gave us this really simple formula, this really model. It's called the Lord's Prayer. You can say it in about like 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. It's simple. There's a whole book in our Bible right in the middle, 150 chapters called the Psalms. They are poetic prayers and songs to God. If you don't know what to pray, just pick one of those. And don't pick like the, don't, don't pick 119. That's like the longest chapter in the book. Don't do that. Like pick one of the shorter ones, like 150 or 130. Like they're not that long, maybe like four lines, some of them. If you're struggling praying every day, keep it short, keep it simple and never miss two. You can miss one, but don't ever miss two. Like if you didn't pray this morning, totally fine. Go about your day. Have a great day. Don't walk around in shame and guilt, but then don't miss tomorrow. Make it a point. Find that consistency. And, and over time, you'll find that it becomes one of those habits that you just simply do. Not only that you do, but you actually desire it. You want to actually get up and pray. Like you're sad when you miss it because it's become so life-giving for you. Here's the thing. It's a strategy to help you be consistent. And part of that strategy is you have to give yourself permission not to be perfect. You just got to do that because you're going to mess up. 
Like it's inevitable. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to fall short. And so when you plan to allow for it, then, then you know that momentary fault or failure is just simply part of the process. And here's what's really cool about that. It also helps because then it prevents you from attaching shame. Like if you've already planned to fail and you know you're going to mess up, then there doesn't have to be shame when it happens because you've already decided, like, I knew this was going to happen. I prepared for it as part of my strategy. So we're good. Like I don't have to walk around feeling super shameful or guilty about this. Instead, it's a reminder that you're on the other end of grace. The grace that God's given to you, it's, it's, it's okay. He's not counting that against you. He's not saying I need you to be perfect. Like he's extended that grace. You can start to receive that grace for yourself and grow in your ability to give that grace to other people because we all need to grow in that. And so the problem is that this illusion of perfection, right? Rather than focusing on consistency, we focus on perfection. The problem with this illusion is that it keeps a lot of us from ever getting started. Like, as we think like, uh, you know, why would I even start? I know I'm going to screw this up. Like, I, inevitably, I know I'm going to mess up, you know, like reading the Bible every day. Like, that's not going to happen, right? I can't tell you how many times people started reading the Bible in a year and they get to like Leviticus in February and they're like, forget this. Like this, no, it's not going to happen, right? So why even start? Like, am I even going to try and start reading my Bible? Or like, why would I like follow Jesus? I know at some point I'm going to, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to violate one of those top 10 things he's got, those commandments. Like, I know I'm not going to keep them all or I'm going to cuss or I'm going to do something. So I might as well not even like try to follow him because I know inevitably I'm going to screw this up somehow. Um, we've got some, um, some in our community that are uh, doing jujitsu right now, right? Um, they're really enjoying this process. I don't know if anybody's ever uh, been in jujitsu or any kind of martial arts, but when you are, they, they have these things called belts that they give you, right? And uh, these belts signify like a rank, like how good you are or how long you've been at it, the things you do. And so this is a white belt. And um, this is not my white belt. I had to borrow this from a friend. So thank you, Kevin. Um, there's a white belt, and this goes all the way up to what? Well, black belt, right? Black belt's like, I think that's the end, right? Black belt, you get. Now, um, what is the most difficult belt to get? Black belt. That would be the like common thinking, right? I love that when I asked Kevin, I said, Kevin, how long did it take you to get a white belt? And he was really honest. He said, 29 years. White belt is the most difficult belt to get. You know why? Because most people never start. That's why it's the most difficult belt to get. And it's been said by uh, many uh, jujitsu champions and masters that a black belt is just simply a white belt that never gave up. They just keep showing up, keep showing up. Eventually you get a little like line on there and then you get another one, another one, and then eventually you get a new color belt and eventually you keep at it and you stay consistent and you show up and you go home and you're sore because you got beat up by someone who's like half your weight and half your age and you're humbled by that. And you're like, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep going. It's worth it. And eventually, uh, if enough time goes by, because you're consistent, you end up with that black belt. Not because you're, you know, significantly better in any one area of jujitsu than anybody else, but because you just kept showing up. That's all it is. And that's what most of us need to remember is that it's not where you start. It's where you finish and how consistent you are in the process of getting there. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to get it wrong. Right? You're going to eat the wrong thing. You're going to oversleep some days, right? You got a new, new goal to get up five o'clock every morning. You're going to fail. One of those mornings, you're just going to want to sleep in. It's going to happen. Uh, you're going to buy something you shouldn't buy or look at something you shouldn't. Are you going to miss the day of reading your Bible? You're going to lose your streak if you're following along in one of those apps. And you're just like, oh, no, I lost my Bible reading streak, right? It's okay. It's going to be right. You're not going to be perfect. Don't confuse being consistent with being perfect. And so start with the why plan to fail. And number three, if we want to be more consistent, is we have to fall in love with the process. Fall in love with the process. 
here's the really interesting thing about Daniel. He wasn't trying to get promoted. And I'm sure that's what drove the other guys nuts that he was getting promoted over, right? Here they are, Babylonians, they've studied the government. They're like, their, their number one goal in life is to be a satrap or maybe even be a, a president over Babylon. And Daniel's like, I don't have any desire or interest to be in any of these positions. Like that wasn't his goal. That's not why he was consistent. He simply wanted to go home, right? He's, he's like been kidnapped and taken as a prisoner of war to a foreign land. He's like, I just want to go back to Jerusalem. I just want to go back to our, our homeland. Like that's my desire. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He was just consistently doing what mattered most to him, what mattered most to God. That's all he was doing. He was just being faithful. It's like, I know if I pray daily that then God's going to take care of me. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if it's even going to be what I necessarily want, but I know it's going to be what I need. And it's what's going to be best for me. So I'm just going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep waking up and, and three times a day, stopping what I'm doing and praying to God. The problem is most of us, we make this mistake. We obsess way too much about the goal way too much about the goal. And we forget the whole process, right? We're so focused on, I got to lose 30 pounds. I got to pay off both credit cards, right? I got to read the whole Bible because that's what good Christians are supposed to do, right? I should know how to like get through the whole thing. And right. But the problem is, is that if you're thinking that way, then you don't succeed until, and if you hit the goal, like if you're so obsessed with 20 pounds or you're so obsessed with the financials, like you're going to miss it because you're not going to hit the goal. Instead, let me offer us a different opportunity, a different way to go about it. Let's fall in love with the process. Let's just fall in love with what it looks like to start to lose weight or to start to reading our Bibles or start to get ourselves in a better financial position. I mean, the, the next, the win in, in jujitsu is not the next belt. It's showing up the next day. It's going to the next training opportunity that you have. Um, I, I started uh, playing basketball. When I say that, I played basketball once yesterday for the first time in like six or seven years. And I'm really sore today. I'll be honest with you. Um, my body is not 25 years old anymore, unfortunately. And so if I hope to get better, my goal isn't like, I want to play like I did when I was 25. If that's my goal, I'm going to probably be disappointed and I'm not going to be consistent. But if I want to get better, I'm just going to have to keep showing up to open gyms, keep practicing, uh, keep doing the things and being okay with being sore. And eventually then my skill level will get somewhat closer back to where I was at one point and my ability to play. But if I'm so obsessed about just being this player I once was, it's never going to happen. I'm, I'm setting myself up for failure. And so many of us do this in so many different areas. But if you're consistent, you will make progress. That's the beautiful thing about it. Progress over perfection. And let's, let's shift the way we think. We don't want to have our success be something that we've done in the future. Instead, you're successful when you honor God today. If you want to grow in your ability to read Scripture, the goal isn't have read a, a whole book or to have read a whole chapter or to even have read the whole book, but did you show up today and try? Did you, did you open your Bible today? Did you read a page? Did you read a, a sentence? That's the win. That's the success right there. That's how you're going to get better. We're going to pre-decide that with God's help, not our own, because we're not strong enough. We know that. We're not strong enough to be consistent, but with God's help, we're going to be consistent. We're going to start doing the things we want to do consistently with God's help. And maybe that's, we're not going to drink soft drinks anymore. Or we're going to walk three times a week. Or, you know, I got this mountain of debt. So what I'm going to try and do is each month, I'm going to put an extra $50 towards that debt payment that I'm making. Just, I'm going to slowly start chipping away at that. I'm going to, I'm going to read God's word a little bit each day. And, and even if it's a little bit, right, if you want to get better, like if you want to get better at an instrument, the win isn't being able to play a new chord or even to play a new song. It's, did you pick it up today? Did you try? Did you, did you get your hands a little bit dirty and, and in the process of it? 
And when we do this, when we pre-decide, then our decisions aren't going to be based on our momentary feelings or how we're feeling in the moment. Instead, our decisions are already going to be pre-decided based on who we want to be, our values of who we want to be, not just today, but for the rest of our lives. When our values are clear, our decisions get so much easier, so much easier. We're going to start with the why. We're going to plan to fail and we're going to fall in love with the process. And the beautiful thing about this, and again, this is where um, the gospel comes in for us. The only one that's ultimately perfectly consistent and perfectly perfect is Jesus. He's faithful. He's consistent. His love for you won't change if you fail on that goal that you set for yourself. He's not going to fall less in love with you if you're trying to lose some weight and you put on a few pounds this week. He's not going to fall less in love with you because you're trying to pay off some debt and unfortunately you, you, you gave into that impulse uh, thing within you and you bought something. You're like, I probably shouldn't have done that. That's not how grace works. He says he's already paid for that. He's already done that. When he was on the cross and he gave up his life for you, his last word was, it is finished. I've completed it. You can't add to it. You're not going to earn your favor with God. You can't earn righteousness. You can't earn salvation. You can't do things to make him fall more in love with you than he already is. And so tomorrow, if you wake up and you've got a certain goal and, and, and you've got a plan in place, but you realize at the end of the day, you weren't consistent, you can rest assured that God's love for you hasn't changed. He's just as madly in love with you at the end of the day than he was at the beginning. And that's the, the beautiful thing about walking with God is we don't have to be perfect. He's already done that for us. We just need to be consistent and we just need to grow in that. And when we're weak, we're reminded that he is strong in those moments. He's promised that of us, that you're going to falter, you're going to fail. But in that moment, it's a beautiful moment, a beautiful, holy opportunity to cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm weak right now and I really need your strength. And he's faithful. He'll meet you in that space. He'll meet you in that place. That's the beautiful thing about following our God. We're not going to be successful when we achieve some lofty goal in the future, but we're going to be successful when we honor God today. 